Leaning Toward Wisdom, the podcast. Thursday, April the 14th, 2022. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. My name is Randy Cantrell. I'm your host here. Yeah, if I sound stopped up, is because I am. Ah, but enough about that. Let's talk about reaching your enough is enough moment. The website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. It is modern tales of an ancient pursuit. Uh, We were young adults, maybe 20 or so, when it became kind of a common refrain among us. We were best buddies. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And we'd chuckle. But it was true. We were sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mostly, it was just a humorous comment. It wasn't some moment of newfound determination, sadly. We never really attempted to improve our circumstances, I don't think so much. Not then. Rather, we just chuckled at poking fun at how our lives were going. And it wasn't that we didn't want to improve. We just didn't want to do much in the way of affecting change. You know, talk is cheap. And we were, well, we were really cheap. I've been down and I've been out and I've discovered that when you hit rock bottom, you are not necessarily done. There are always new lows that you knew nothing about standing ready to greet you and holler at you and say, here we are. You didn't think we were here. The myth is pervasive. It is also very persuasive. It's wrong. You know, like all deep fakes that infiltrate our brain every day in social media. Well, every day, every hour, we see stories and we believe they're true. Never mind that it's an illusion propped up behind some insecure, fear filled idiot behind a keyboard who has a lot less clue about how things are than we do. And we know we're stupid. Bigger is better. And so is more. No, no, it's not. There's enormous value in small, powerful, and profitable endeavors. Mostly value in small, powerful, profitable steps toward improvement. And that is the point of today's show. We don't often take these small steps toward improvement until we reach our enough is enough moment. There's 
plenty of evidence that proves to us and in our lives, come on, our lives are probably the only proof we need that until we're kind of forced into a change, we really don't change. People can talk about health scares and all kinds of things that can rattle us. You know, something or someone grabs us by the metaphorical lapel and shakes us. And then maybe, and that's a big, maybe, maybe we do something about it. But I think mostly we tend to buy into the belief, the delusion that we're just one break away. I mean, we're, we're just one bit of luck will change everything. I was in my teens when I started selling stereo gear at a local hi-fi shop. Prior to that, didn't have any sales experience other than going from house to house in the neighborhood, you know, asking if I could mow their lawn for 10 bucks. I quickly learned as a straight commission salesperson and straight commission just means I didn't earn anything unless I sold something. There was no guarantee. There was no draw against commission. This is back when that was legal. It's not anymore, but no, you don't sell anything. You don't make anything. Uh, and I was an employee wasn't contract labor. I quickly learned that salespeople can behave like gamblers, right? Because we always can think, well, the next one, the next one, that'll be the big one. And even more quickly, I learned there is no next big one. (laughs) I mean, there was some moronic delusional fantasy that the universe would bend to our need for the next sale to be the big one that would pay a high enough commission. Well, why would the universe care that I wanted a new set of wider tires for my car? Fact is, the universe not only lacks concern for such things, but mostly the universe has no say in the matter. Shoppers, they're the ones that made the decisions. These people that would come into the store and choose to buy or not buy. And if the shoppers came into the store, well, they certainly, they certainly didn't want new wider tires for my car. They had their own desires. And if I was not able to help them get what they wanted, well, see you later, new tires. And yes, by this point, I had already read and reread Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I knew the truism that he taught about helping others get what they want. And and as altruistic as that is and as wonderful as that is, there was some guy in Dallas with a funny name that would come along later And he would make it one of his more famous quotes. You can have everything in life you want if you will just help other people get what they want. His name, Zig Ziglar. Well, never one to fawn over those motivational speaker types. And I really wasn't. Now, I I would go see these people. I have seen a lot of these people. I didn't necessarily go see them because of the motivational, you know, speaker hype, I really went to watch the crowd and I really went to watch them perform because yes, I was interested in public speaking. I was interested in the storytelling. I was interested in other things. The message was just for me, part of the madness. I mean, I was skeptical from the get go about 
about all that. You can have everything in life you want if you just help enough people, other people get what they want. And I was smart enough to know that absolutes, well, they're dangerous. So when Zig told me that I could have everything in life I wanted, well, I knew it made for a powerfully great quote. I also know that it was complete rubbish. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm all about helping other people and think we, we ought to do that. But I've helped a lot of people. And I'm going to keep on helping a lot of people as much as I can. And I'm not necessarily looking to gain anything from it. But that's just me. That's just how I roll. By the time I turned 17, I absolutely knew as a salesperson that I had to deliver what shoppers most wanted in order to achieve whatever financial goals I might have. So I quickly realized that I wasn't merely about helping other people get what they want. It was at least for me as a hi-fi sales guy, it was about helping shoppers get whatever they wanted in a stereo system because that's the stuff I was about. And if like me, they wanted wider tires for their car. Well, I wasn't going to be able to help them much because I didn't work at a tire shop. But if I wanted wider tires for my car and I did, then I knew that my path forward was in helping them get whatever they wanted in a hi-fi setup. Context matters. So you can't have everything in life you want if you just help other people get what they want. I don't buy it. I've never found it to be true. I've never found it to be remotely true. That path forward was a fast lesson for me. And I wish I were better at remaining disciplined about it to keep that focus, to keep that context. But I, I have not been looking at somebody else makes it seem so easy. You ever wondered about this, you know, as a guy that has spent a lot of years coaching people, it's just not that hard for me because it's a strength. But man alive, looking in the mirror, it's like, okay, this is hard. This is really hard. I told you before in taking the via character assessment, the via survey, you know, forgiveness comes up number one. And I learned this from my own life, and I've learned it in looking at the lives of other people. The, 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 your strength is your Achilles heel. It just is. So forgiveness, super easy for me except in one area and that's me almost impossible. I'm, I mean, it's a tall, tall order for me to forgive myself to forgive anybody else. Not difficult at all, but there's my Achilles heel. So my strength is my weakness. Yours is too. I don't know what your strength is, but take a hard look at it. I promise. I promise you that it's, it's right. It's true. So I'm looking at somebody else talking to somebody else. He's got this challenge and he tells me he's going to go get a job. What kind of job? He rattles off the name of some big company that's known for hiring manual labor workers at a pretty good hourly rate and got good benefits and all that. And I said, okay, why? And he proceeds to try to convince me that it's going to be his best path forward. Now I'm sitting here from a very safe distance. It's not my life. I'm not telling him what to do because it's not my life. 
but I asked him about a few professional certifications that he's got ones that he spent a lot of hours and a lot of time and a lot of money to get. And I said, well, what are you going to do with those? And he pauses and he says, nothing. Now he's focused on trying to earn a living no matter how modest I get it. But I say to him, well, if you consider the resources that you have available to you, it seems to me that these professional qualifications are near the top of the list as far as resources that you've got, valuable resources that you've got. If you just looked at your life as a business and you said, okay, what assets do I have? These would have to be, I mean, these would have to be one and two, wouldn't they? He admits that. Anybody, even poor performing professionals with these credentials, earn a whole lot more than the job you would be applying for to go to work in some warehouse. And so I challenge him further, and I do it in typical fashion by asking questions. Because this is all seeming really clear to me, and I get that in this moment he's confused. He's, he's swimming in muddy, muddy water, and he can't see the force for the trees. And I also get that he's desperate. Been there, done that, which is why he has to get to a place where he is thinking more clearly, where he is seeing more clearly. And I say, well, picture the least successful person in your area who has these professional certifications that you've got. How much money do you figure that they earn in a month? He ponders this for a little while and it takes a while, but he comes up with some number. It is a number that is significantly higher than the starting wage of the job that he's talking about applying for a job that by the way, he probably, this isn't in this current economy. This is a few years ago in that economy, probably one that he's not even going to get because they're going to take a look at him and go, well, (laughs) What's wrong with this picture? I mean, why isn't this guy applying this education and these things that he's qualified to do? But it's also a number that doesn't seem terribly reasonable given what he and I both know about these particular qualifications. And I suspect in this moment, and he admits it once we keep on having the conversation, he's guessing, he's guessing low. The question is the least successful person, the person who's, I mean, they are, they are so not succeeding, but they are using these qualifications. What do you think they're making? He throws this number out. It's low. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not a lofty number. It's not this right home and brag to your mama kind of money, but it's, it's not likely what the least successful person in this area is earning either. They're probably earning more than that, than this amount, but it certainly beats all to pieces. The hourly wage that he's talking about going and applying for. And in that moment, he sees it. I see it. Now the question of the hour was, well, okay, now what are you going to do? Now what are you going to do? I mean, what about all those times when we're in the muck alone and they nobody around to help us see what we can't see? What then? I've sold everything I can sell. 
including some things I did not want to sell. Right. But you got to do what you got to do. Right. I did. A friend had expressed interest in some piece of video gear that I had, and I was desperate for any cash. Hundred bucks. One hundred dollars. May have well as been a million. Seemed like such an enormous amount of money to me at the time. I call him up. I remind him of his interest in this gear. Easily worth more than a hundred bucks. But in that desperation I asked him if he would buy it for a hundred dollars. And I waited anxiously hoping for a yes, praying for a yes. And he said, ah, you better not. And there went my dream, my dream of the universe answering my need for a hundred bucks. I don't remember what happened next. I really don't. What I can tell you is that that was many years ago. And here I am today telling you that story. So clearly I survived it. I didn't get the hundred bucks, but I'm here. I didn't exchange that piece of gear for a hundred bucks, but I'm still here. I do know this. My head was so far down. I couldn't see up and maybe you've been there before. Maybe you're there right now. I don't know. Maybe you're just scrambling like I was to figure out now what, now what am I going to do? It's a tough row to hoe, man. It is a tough row to hoe. Sadly, I have hoed that row too many times over the course of my life. It's not the universe. It's you. It's me. We are the constraint. We are the hurdle. We are the impediment, but we don't think so. Oh, surely it's something else. Gotta be right. I mean, surely it's somebody else. Partly it's not wanting to accept blame. Okay. Responsibility. We don't want to feel like it's our fault. We don't want to feel like there's anything we can do about it. I mean, easier to blame somebody else, easier to blame something else. But also it is partly because we think it's more complex. I mean, it has to be, doesn't it? If it's us, that just seems too easy, doesn't it? It's got to be more difficult than that. And we know nothing is easy. Everything is hard. Until it's easy. It's my favorite quote. Change is hard. It's very hard. Even when we encounter some proverbial wake-up call. Taylor Hawkins was the drummer of the rock band, the Foo Fighters. He was 50 years old when recently he summoned help to his Bogota, Colombia hotel room because he was having chest pains. He died that night, March 25th. 2022 he had multiple substances in his bloodstream including weed opioids other things that may have contributed to his death turns out his heart was twice the normal size likely due to years of drug abuse overworking the muscles ability to perform but here's the interesting thing over 20 years ago august the 1st 2001 he overdosed on heroin put him in a coma for two weeks years later he would describe it as a real changing point, quote, a real changing point. Okay, well, does a real changing point, does that qualify as enough as enough moment? Yeah, you'd think so. 
turns out not so much like us. Taylor was likely delusional thinking he didn't really need to change much or improve much. I mean, come on, you're a top rated rock star living a rock star life. Life is good until it isn't the wake up call may have impacted him when he came out of that coma in mid mid August of 2001, but it didn't seem to stick. I'd love to tell you that we are better than him, but mostly we're not. We're just still alive because too frequently it doesn't stick for us either. And you know why? Because we adjust, we acclimate, we settle into certain ways of thinking and believing and behaving. We lose sight of the realization that we are neglectful, that we are destructive, or at the very least, we're getting in our own way. We are preventing ourselves from being better. Forget this whole be your best. Forget this whole potential thing. I mean, how do we even know what that is? How about we just try to be a bit better than we are? Now, I don't do drugs. I never have. Yeah, I'm a prude like that. Always have been. Plan to always be. So I don't have any clue what a heroin overdose might be like. I certainly don't know what it is to be in a coma for two weeks because of one. I just watch them depicted on TV and movies and maybe some documentaries where you do see the real thing. I think for me, that might be, though, a reaching your enough is enough moment, enough is enough moment. But I also know this, it illustrates the depths of our delusions. And I do not have to take heroin to understand that because I've been deluded enough to pawn things for 40 bucks cash. No, not for drugs, for food. I've wept in the arms of a young wife because I couldn't see daylight for the darkness. I have experienced the weight of being a young father while working 80 to 100 hours a week to find a way forward and wondering if there even was such a way and wondering why am I so dim-witted and so stupid I can't find it. Now listen, it would be great if the path forward was that hockey stick growth curve that every business is fond of pursuing. I just don't know anybody who's lived such a life. Oh, I know plenty of people who want you to think that's been their life, but I'm here to tell you it has not been mine, not by a long shot. I'm grateful to have strung together some good years. I'm grateful to have strung together even a few great years. I'm more grateful to have survived and learned from the pawn shop years and from the years where liquidation was as much the path forward as anything, right? I mean, just what, what do I have that I can turn to cash? I mean, it's true that cash is king. And when you're willing, no, when you're anxious to take dimes on the dollar because your needs are so desperate, then you're more in touch with the idea of reaching your enough is enough moment i think about it often and i even refer to it here it seems with great frequency in the podcast 
and maybe even more than you would like, that, that story of the prodigal son in the Bible, it's always at the forefront for me when I think about hitting this point in life where you just say, okay, enough's enough. You can read it for yourself. It's in Luke chapter 15, Luke 15 verses 11 through 32. And in the parable, the boy who left home with the inheritance that he demanded from his father, he finds himself destitute and he is empty of everything. I mean, everything, the money's gone. The friends are gone. He left home. So he's got no family. He does not even have enough food to eat, but he reaches this point in life where he has had enough. The Bible describes it like this in verse 17, Luke 15. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger? Well, the story doesn't end there. Sadly, it seems to me that most times ours does when he came to himself. Well, what does this mean when he came to himself? Well, he, he gets to this point where he's like, I've had enough. And so now he's thinking to himself and he's talking to himself just like we do, right? We think things, we say things. Now, here's how I know he reached his enough is enough moment because verse 20 says, and he arose and came to his father. Now, wait a minute. What? Yeah. He's not just thinking to himself. He's not just talking to himself. He arose and came to his father. You know how I know he hit this point where enough was enough. He did something and he did something different. He did not keep doing what he had done in that moment. He acted, he used it. He leveraged it for his welfare, for his benefit. He improved. I, what was it about that moment? I don't know for reasons of his own. He he'd had enough. I mean, I wish walking out of a pawn shop with 40 bucks cash. I wish, I wish that would have been my enough is enough moment, but thinking back, I'm I'm not sure it was, maybe it was, but I was so down and out. I couldn't see straight. Couldn't think straight. And my confidence, well, pff, what confidence that was shot. I mean, there's no way you can be confident in that kind of a situation. I can tell you this. I've spent a lot of hours thinking, not thinking I'm better than this. I've spent hours and hours thinking I deserve this. I deserve this. Here's what I've learned through the many enough is enough moments that I have endured. And I'm not done enduring them, by the way. It's not yet enough until I stop thinking about myself. It's not yet enough until I stop focusing on my plight and my suffering long enough to think about others and how they don't deserve what I'm putting them through. And yet there still is something that is self-centered about it necessarily. So for us to decide, I need to behave better. The culprit that stands in our way is just colossal selfishness and immaturity. Ironic, isn't it? That we don't often achieve what we want or what we can because we are the problem. 
I mean, it is amazingly easy to get in your own way. You know this. I know this. We, we, we both know this is true. We can block our progress like nobody's business. We can refuse to change. We can stubbornly dig in in things that will just never make us better. We can bury ourselves in pity, thinking that this is what we most deserve. Ah, but it may not matter what we deserve. What matters is what we're going to do to alter the outcomes. Like my friend who I reminded of these professional qualifications, what are you going to do with what you have? And how are you putting what you have to its best use? Well, are you? If this isn't your enough is enough moment, then what is it going to look like? What's it going to feel like? How are you going to know you reached it? Well, like the prodigal, you'll know when you know, and you won't know until then. For him, it happened when he took a menial job feeding pigs, and he began to crave what these pigs were eating because he didn't have enough food. Yep, that'll do it. It happened for me when I couldn't sell even a friend a piece of gear for a hundred bucks that by the way, at the time he had no way of knowing would have made a world of difference for me. Or when I pawned something for 40 bucks cash and it has happened countless other times when I was so low, I did not know what to do. It is likely why I have spent most of my life fixated on a singular focus of helping other people figure out now what? Don't worry about step 27. Worry about step one. A singular question concentrating on the very next step. All because I have experienced in my own life what it is to not know the answer to that question. something bigger besides gratitude, which is largely an answer for most things. Something bigger is also an answer and that something bigger is God. Oh, I know you don't believe in God or maybe you doubt there is a God or maybe you think religion is some voodoo cult type brainwashing. I don't know when enough is enough for humanity to understand and believe the Bible account of creation. And I don't know what it's going to take for people to realize how much blind faith one must have to believe that random chaos formed our world and our lives. And I certainly don't know what it's going to take for us to reach an enough is enough moment when we are so desperate that we realize there's help that no human can provide. Knee bending moments where we cry out to God because we don't have anywhere else to turn. Been there, done that many, many times. And I suspect there'll be many more. The years of being dragged down and out and then back again have taught me a few things. I'm going to leave you with these things. Do with them as you please. There's five of them. Number one, my enough is enough moments have never been strategically planned. 
They've simply happened based on the circumstances of my life, like the prodigal. Number two, not all my enough enough moments have been my own doing, but they have all been within my power to respond better. Number three, some enough is enough moments can be overcome. Others simply have to be endured. Number four, eternity changes everything, and that's why God matters, because this life is not all there is. Number five, I have to leverage all my enough is enough moments to make the journey from this life to the next one. The only goal of this life, the life here, is to make sure that heaven is the next stop. And so we have to obey God because nothing else matters. LeaningTowardWisdom.com is the website. Modern tales of an ancient pursuit. We're trying to lean away from our own foolishness, more toward wisdom. My name is Randy Cantrell. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. Welcome.